Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Open Wheel Debrief, starring your hosts, Patrick Hamilton and Tom Settle. Today, we're going to be talking about the IndyCar Chevrolet 275 race. We're going to be talking about our fantasy lineups, who we should start, what's good for your budget, and many more on this week's episode. Lit. All righty, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the show. This is week two of the Open Wheel Debrief. I'm your host, Patrick Hamilton, and with me is Tom Settle. 10-4, good buddy. We're here to start off the week. Uh, again, just another week without actual racing happening. Um, very, very sad that we only get virtual racing. And really, just we are itching for actual racing content. We are itching. So today we're going to start off the podcast. We're going to talk about things we saw this week in racing. We're going to move into reviewing the IndyCar race that happened this weekend. And finally, we're going to wrap it up with our fantasy teams. Tom and I have not revealed it to each other. This is going to be the first time we're going to be talking about it openly. We're going to talk about what we think are the right moves, wrong moves, why Tom's an idiot, why I'm right. We're going to get right into it. And we're going to talk about what I saw this week in racing when I thought was a huge deal. And, of course, the big news of yesterday, we had Sir Sterling Moss passing away, a true racing legend, and our condolences to his family and loved ones. Again, an F1 champion, knighted by the Queen of England, a legend in the racing industry. He sure will be missed. RIP to the Hall of Famer. Again, what really brought F1 to the map as far as it being a European driving sport. You look at some of the old videos that have been posted this week and you just realize how far F1 has come as far as technology in the F1 racing world. But you got to appreciate some old timer getting in the car with his face as open as could be, putting his life at risk every single weekend going out there to race. So moving on to a, a more lighthearted topic, I don't know, Tom, what did you see this week in the racing world? Well, uh, I think outside of the, the races themselves, the internet was took by storm by our good friend, no longer friend, uh, Kyle Lawson of the NASCAR series, which... No longer a friend of the podcast, never invited on the podcast at all. We are very anti-racist drivers anti kyle lawson if anyone hadn't seen the video or the audio clip on on new gardens stream they were racing a nascar series and and uh, mr lawson was talking openly in the uh driver chat and dropped the hard r on the entire field a very hard end bomb yeah and uh uncomfortable to say the least and uh, action was taken very quickly. I think within an hour, all of his sponsors dropped him. Team team dropped him, cut from pay. NASCAR suspended him indefinitely. So uh, just like that, ladies and gentlemen, one, one word can uh, end your entire uh, career, uh, virtual or real life. So uh, keep that in mind, but let it be known, Open Wheel Debrief is anti-Kyle Lawson. We are very anti-Kyle Lawson. We are very anti-racist on this podcast and really it's quite funny virtual racing has not 
proven friendly to some of the NASCAR racers over these past couple of weeks. Of course, you got this Kyle Lawson, again, never invited back on this podcast ever again. And you also had Bubba Wallace rage quitting during a virtual race and getting dropped by all of his sponsors as well. So all in all, virtual racing been a very bad thing for NASCAR drivers. Yeah. Rage quitting is real. Absolutely. These guys, uh, you know, no longer can take it to their opponent in the car next to them. They're shutting off their sim and banging the wall. Well, really, it's funny because you actually have um, and I think it was very apparent this week, if you're watching any of the streams, that there was really open communication on air between different drivers during the race. And that doesn't usually happen during an IndyCar race, right? You can have pit crew chiefs talking to one another. But during this virtual racing, you have people actually being able to communicate one-on-one. And we saw that during the IndyCar race where they were trying to team up to try to catch up to some of the pack. But during the NASCAR, I think it's just that much more trash talking, which is how it should be in a virtual world. But some people, some people need a rage quit. Some people need to use inappropriate language that can cost them their whole entire career. But again, not not healthy this virtual racing for for NASCAR's image. No, not at all. The internet's always there, and the internet's going to eat up whatever they can get. And uh, trust me, this is. This is content outside of the racing scene, so you hate to see it, you love to see it. So, so all right, let's go ahead and transition into our IndyCar 275 racing review. Um, the Chevrolet 275 came off to a incredibly hot start with the opening first lap. It was, again, one of those awkward virtual racing, like, starts it's about as awkward as you could have asked for yeah definitely and i don't think they're getting any better at that but a hot start to say the least i think we got about three car lengths past the start finish line just like that the entire field was up in uh up in a big old heap well you know what i thought was funny was the fact that Almost towards the end of the race, you had Will Power coming on the airwaves, talking to basically the commissioner that was running the entire show, saying, I can't believe you're going to go ahead and hand the race to those who crashed in the beginning. Because really, it was proven kind of by Dale Earnhardt, they were given an advantage at the end, almost a fuel advantage towards the end of the race by stopping and having that extra three, four laps of fuel on board. Yeah, no, that's absolutely what it came down to. And for those listening, essentially these races, there's you can watch the NBC stream, which a lot of people do on television or on YouTube or what have you. But there's also the driver streams on Twitch and uh, YouTube. Right now, I'm only familiar with, with Newgarden and Daly's stream. I know Dale has camera, but I don't know if he's pushing it live. But anyways, the, the driver streams give you audio into the driver the whole field chat also all the drivers have strategy engineers typically on mic with them as well which is so fascinating and then uh yeah there's also like a you know commissioner like rule guy in there as well and so you hear the banter the whole race and with a start like that yeah the drivers let it be known where their opinion was and i i loved every bit of it yeah and i just think your comment last week about Connor Daly basically saying they were playing Birio card out there. I think that point was proven in that first lap. And again, just 
very clear towards the end of the race about those who are taking it serious and those who are just on a on a joy ride. Yeah, it's so funny, dude. I mean, it's it's night and day watching Daily's Twitch streams, which are so entertaining, and then um, going to New Garden, who you know, Team Penske, just like of course they got to go out, go out all out for this. I heard Pagano was in a full race suit uh, in his sim, which obviously proved him well this weekend. But anyway, New Garden's got two uh, strategy engineers on mic calling out every car, right, left, behind, front, the entire race. Like it is, you know, no holds bar, like just another race weekend for them where Daly's, you know, in with his boys, Herda, you know, uh, Rossi in there, Hinchcliffe in there. Uh, I think Ed was in there just shooting the shit in discord and just having like a, just a real good time. So, uh, and I think that's how you and I would have preferred to actually race. We were trying to race competitively. It would have been just you and I shooting the shit in the racing chat, going around laughing at what was that? Colton Herda basically saying down the front stretch, He's doing triple cartwheel. Someone give that man a gold medal. Again, just absolutely hilarious to see the comparisons of, I actually watched Dale Jr.'s spotter had a Twitch stream. And it was amazing how much more serious he was taking it as he was able to basically calculate how much fuel, fuel he had left, what the racing strategy was. Again, with Team Penske being able to call everything. And they actually had a spotter. Right. They were in the Discord and being like, still high, still high, cleared. I think it's a good racing strategy if you just get behind, you know, New Garden here and, and draft as much as possible to save some fuel. So it's incredible to look at those two comparisons. And you see the results at the end of the race. Simon Pagano, which I'll state this right away, I highly dislike Simon Pagano. That man pisses me off like none other i think of him of the jean gerard of IndyCard. <laughs> don't like the man never will i don't care if he won the indy 500 last year still don't like him hope he loses every race going forward but it's inevitable the amount of effort that team penske and people like him put forward you're gonna see them at the front towards the end of the race yeah for sure and it makes me think too like watching these these races uh it's cool seeing like that whole side of it with the spotters and the strategists and and hearing that audio um but it makes me think like what what makes a good eye racer you know these guys obviously are extremely well tuned when it comes to the track and whatnot but a lot of that comes down to just like feeling the car and feeling the track and knowing you know where to go and an eye racing like as far as cartooning, it seems like a bit of a formula that the more you do it, the more you kind of understand what works. I know uh, Daly was talking about, I mean, it's like, it's, it feels nothing like a real car. The understeer is so much more uh, in the, in the iRacing game, but also too, it comes down to just making no mistakes in these races. I mean, they're short enough as is, right? Right. And everything's happening so fast, but it seemed like coming off a green flags pit stop, it almost seemed like everyone was on ice skates as they were going in for their green flag pit stops. It was unbelievable. Like on the on the actual NBCSN live stream, it seemed like 
so many drivers like Alexander Rossi and Philippe uh, uh, Nazar were coming in the pits seemingly perfectly fine and then at last second just spinning in the pits. Yeah, no, I mean, it comes down to feel, right? Like, they have no feel for their car, and it was the same way the uh, first wreck happened. They didn't know whether they wanted to start in first gear or second gear, and someone made the wrong choice, and those back wheels went spinning and took out the entire field. So it's different. I mean, it's a game. You can see who's putting in the hours are definitely uh, getting the results. And honestly, I find it almost funny – if you were looking at Connor Daly's chat or Joseph Newgarden's chat, when the drivers talked into the all driver discord, I thought it was funny how serious one Graham Rahal took it. Will power took it. And some of the other drivers that are way back in the pack that shouldn't have been taking it that serious, but were almost pissy. Like will power towards the end was getting bitchy at the chairman of the race. And the chairman of the race is like, look, this is being streamed on, live national television this is all about the show basically i can't do anything for you and he was he was a grump he seemed like a grumpy old man but i almost have to respect will power for it because he's going to take anything he does seriously i agree man and like at the end of the day these guys are competitors and this this commissioner literally said and i quote the show is more important than where you finish and it was bad enough that Dixon wasn't even able to race for whatever reason and technical difficulties outside of his control within the game that it sounded like could have been on uh, on the admin side of things. But yeah, I mean, you, you I get it. There, you guys have a time slot on NBC, but you when you're not giving yellows throughout the race because you have a quota of time to get through, it makes for a different race than what it should be. At the end of the day, we're on an oval, right, in Michigan, which is sick. Oval racing sick. And the race wasn't like it was expected to be because this wreck ended up splitting up the entire field after the restart. And guys were finishing two laps. Like, there were small packs across the entire track where yellows could have been put in place and that could have been brought back together. And essentially, that's what the drivers were a little a little pissy about. And I think in this case, a competition yellow, maybe two-thirds of the way in, would have eliminated the fact that Simon Pagano could have won this off. Basically, a cheeky strategy that he had. And props to him. There was even a point in the NBCSN coverage where you could tell that he was really backing off, trying to conserve fuel from the beginning. But... If you give them a caution at lap 65 and leave it to the last 20 laps, everyone's refiled, then you actually get genuine oval racing. And those first 20 laps were actually very entertaining because it was back and forth between Sage Sage Karam, Philippe Nasser, and Sage Karam and Will Power. Again, oval racing, in my opinion, for that iRacing was so much more entertaining than the road course, but it putting in some sort of competition yellow or actually awarding a yellow flag would have made the stream itself, the race itself a lot more competitive and entertaining. And really at the end of the NBCSN coverage, you had about like a 10, 15 minute gap of space you could have filled with more racing. So I don't think a yellow flag would have affected the coverage at all. 
Yeah, I know. And then, but they got their schedule, and like he, they openly admitted they were like, "We got, we don't have time for another yellow. We have, we have time for four yellows this race." And that first yellow, they took like three or four delayed green laps. So uh, they essentially didn't have time for it. Yeah. I don't know. I think I think it would have been well worth it. If you didn't end up interviewing the winner, so what? It would have at least been more entertaining. But one thing I did write down was I think it was about as win-win of a situation as you could have it for both IndyCar, Dale Earnhardt Jr., and iRacing is the fact that he got third and didn't win. Because I think if he won it, it'd be very, very embarrassing for the IndyCar racers themselves. Oh, yeah. No, I think for the entire series, you know, we all love, we all love Dale as, as Daly calls him, Dale Jesus. And, and he truly is. But we're, I think everyone's happy to see Dale there. I mean, he's an incredible racer. He's an incredible eye racer. The guy has spent, you know, 5,000 hours on the sim. He loves it. Uh, and he loves racing in the IndyCar series too. He, he, he admitted he, he loves these guys. He looks up to these guys and, I think he's always welcome back in in a in a sim race, but you're totally right. If he won, and he very well could have, I don't know if he fell into it. If he if this will be something we see uh, in the coming weeks, but uh, yeah, all eyes on Dale. I think the series needs to step up their game. Right, exactly. Him getting third was a good thing, but again, I do think if there was a yellow in one of those last laps, Dale would have been nowhere near the front. I, I think it was just a cheeky strategy move on his part to be able to get up to the top three. But glad there was actually some IndyCar driver who ended up winning it. And the last note that I'll bring up here, and I think I brought, I forgot to bring this up last race, was Sage Karam is my least favorite iRacing driver of all time. I think he gives off this persona of being so good at iRacing, and he had this cockiness coming off of Watkins. Watkins Glen just running away with the race win. And then coming into uh, last week at Barber, basically rage quitting because he knew he wasn't going to win. And they interviewed him a week ago, and you could tell he was just pissed off at the fact he didn't win it. And again, this week at Michigan, you could tell he wasn't going to win. He ended up spinning in a wreck, and he just seemed real pissy. And I think he is a gigantic douche who might have a little talent on the iRacing stream on the iRacing circuits, but I don't think that's ever going to compare to actual race experience. Yeah. No, and that's just, that that's just me being a Karam hater. That's just me hating on him right here. I agree. He's, a, he's, he's shown he's a hothead. I think we all kind of knew he was a hothead, but I've seen it in uh, practices too. He was talking shit like, mad shit to to tk for you know bumping him or whatever and he's cussing him out and i'm like man this tony cannot i mean come on right uh, TK, one of the most respected indycar drivers of all time and again this 44 year old man trying to get onto basically a video game system and prove his worth which hasn't gone well for him but still you can't get mad at tk yeah yeah no, we know he, he was he was a kid in the basement throwing his controller at the TV. I mean, it's just it's how, it's how he grew up. Overall, if we're rating this race, I would give it I would give it a seven. Again, a lot more room for improvement. Would have loved to seen 
some sort of competition yellow to bring the pack together, at least make it organized and a lot more competitive at the end. But I thought the racing was a lot better at Michigan, especially in those first couple of laps. I was paying attention the entire time. It had my attention. Again, hilarious at the beginning, someone singing the national anthem. Mike Tarico giving the cue to say, gentlemen, start your engines. Thought that was a very nice touch, even though the dramatics after that still were <laughs> very awkward for it being a virtual race. But overall, 7 out of 10, that's a grade I'm giving it. I like that. I like that. I can agree with that. Again, I can't recommend enough to, for people to tune into the the driver streams. I'm getting I'm getting pretty addicted to watching some of these streams. It's it's super entertaining. It's good insight, and I love hearing all the all the drivers bicker and uh, whatnot. They're they're streaming almost daily, whether it's practice or a race or whatnot. So it's it's worth checking out. So, what would your overall rating of the race be? I'll give it uh, NBC stream. I'm giving it a six friend mr daly friend of the podcast uh it's 8.5 8.5 mr daly you're always welcome on the podcast always my, welcome, friend. my friend all right ladies and gentlemen now we're going to get into our f1 fantasy drivers section of our podcast we're going to talk about the rules of f1 fantasy how you guys can get involved who you should pick what are the best strategies and who Tom and I are picking for our F1 teams. So to start off, we want to talk a little bit about the rules. To be completely honest, this is my first year of doing F1 Fantasy, and I think I'm going to absolutely love it. So to talk about the rules, you have to pick five drivers, one constructor. You get a turbo driver for double points, and that driver has to be under $20 million dollars. Each team you create has to be under $100 million. You get a mega driver two times a season that is worth triple the points, and that can be any, any driver on your team. Um, and then you get a wild card chance where you can switch up your team as much as you want at any point during the season. So how they actually score points is based on each driver, and then each driver is for a constructor, so those constructor points count as well. So during qualifying session, if you make it, out of Q1, you get two points. If you get into Q3, you get three points. If you don't qualify past that, you get just in Q1 is one point. If your individual driver qualifies ahead of their teammate to get two points, if you get a do not qualify, minus 10, disqualified, minus 10. And so each position is then awarded a point. If you qualify P1, you get 10, P2, nine points, all the way down to P10, where you get one point. And those are how the points are scored for qualifying. So Tom, why don't you take us away for the race? Yeah. Race. You got much like we see in our construction points based off of places one through 10, 25 points being awarded, awarded the first position, 18, 15, 12, much like we know as we see in, in real life. But where it gets interesting is in all these other points outside, outside of just finishing place. Uh, you get one point for finishing the race. You get points for beating your teammate. You get points for position gained based on where you started on the grid. You get points for fastest lap. And then the big money is lost if you're not classified or you're disqualified from the race. So you're not classified if you do not finish 90% of the number of laps covered by the winner. If you don't do that, you lose 15 points, 24 points for being disqualified from the race. Going on top of that, we also have streaks as well. 
if you're an individual driver during qualifying session and you place in the top 10 for five races in a row, you get five points. And if you're a constructor, both constructors in the top 10 get first three straight races, get 10 points. And then during the race, if you're top 10 for five races, you get five points. Constructors, um, both of your drivers finish in the top 10 for three straight races, you get 10 points. So again, those are very strong remarks to talk about um, and consider when you're picking your actual drivers. So now we get to our actual debate time. Again, I talked about this in the opener. Tom and I have not talked about at all what our driver lineup looks like for our first F1 race. Uh, we both are in a league together with some of our other, our other buddies, our other mates. So my first driver that I picked, and he's worth $28.4 million right now, a little bit of an expensive buy, but I picked Valtteri Botas. And the reason I picked him at a very expensive $28.4 million is because he is very, very consistent. He's in that silver bullet. I think he is, the Mercedes is not going to be beaten whatsoever. I think it's well worth the money spent. Lewis Hamilton was a little bit out of my price range, especially if I wanted to spend a little bit more money on the middle class drivers, as I always like to talk about. Okay. I like that. I like that pick. Friends, let it let it be known that this is uh, I'm a second year veteran in this game here. So uh, just take take Packy's picks with a grain of salt. You know, it's a, it's a rookie move to come off the bat swinging at Mercedes. I think it's what most would do. My first choice for twenty six point one million dollars is the Red Bull himself, Mr. Max Verstappen. For me, this is a, a solid pick. He's one. He's one to get pole, and he's one to to win the race. But also, like Botas, he's consistent. Uh, he's one I can count on, and also, uh, I think, is underpriced. Doesn't doesn't break the bank. So, again, different strategies for me. I'm picking technically a second class driver. You are 100% picking a leading class driver with Red Bull. Um, I think the only difference is the car quality. I don't see how Mercedes is going to be beat this year. Their their car is just top-notch. But I'll go into my second most expensive driver, and a Mr. Carlos Sainz at a solid $15.5 million. The dude was wildly consistent last year, and he is by far my favorite driver in the field. I'll root for him all the time. McLaren with just a solid uptrend from last year. I feel like they're going to keep it going this year. And if you looked at Drive to Survive, his specific documentary about himself, to me, I don't know if this is just how Netflix portrayed it, but he is the hardest working driver. He's got the most to prove. He's got the biggest chip on his shoulder. I think even just the way he earned his first podium last year, he almost got gypped out of the spotlight. I think he's going to be just as hungry this year. He's going to be wildly competitive. I'm very excited to see how it goes. I agree. Second pick myself, Mr. Carlos Sainz. Uh, this guy's got turbo driver written all over him. I know in this game, the turbo driver is where you make all your points. Um, so this was a big pick for me. He was chosen by 40.2% uh, of all teams in the game. Uh, one of the highest we see. So, yeah, a lot, like you said, a lot, a lot weighing on his shoulders. Um, he's got a team that's on the up. I think one to to push the mid class ranks. Um, him and Lando, I think, are a good duo. But I think at the end of the day, Carlos is a better driver. 
he's just got more experience. That's what it comes down to. Yeah, yeah, and he's and he's always improving. He's getting better. So I'm excited to see it. I agree. I think, especially with his new contract expiring, I feel like he's got a lot to prove to be basically catapulted into what a lot of people are saying is a, a brand new Ferrari seat with with Charles. Mm, I'd like yeah. to see that. Yes, the rumor mill. The rumor mill is strong. But I will transition into my third most expensive, and that is uh, Mr. Daniel Ricardo at a $14.1 million. So I really tossed and turned with my decision. I wanted, I wanted a Renault driver. I think coming down to it, I feel like last year was just a primary example of people transitioning into their first year of a brand new car is always difficult. I just, even if it's the same engine, right? Ricardo went from a Renault engine in Red Bull to a Renault engine in the Renault team. He still struggled. And I feel like, especially with Esteban Alcon, he's going to struggle with not only the engine transition, but also the car transition. So I feel like even though there's all this talk about this huge fight between teammates gearing up, I feel like Ricardo is just going to dominate. His second year experience is going to allow him to be a lot more confident with the car, hopefully. He had very positive test times and again was, even though testing isn't supposed to mean anything, he still outperformed Esteban Ocon. So in my opinion, I feel like that type of competition will be really good for him. I feel like the car will at least be strong enough to compare with McLaren. Uh, I don't know if, if it will ever fight for a podium, but crazier things have happened. We'll see what goes on. Damn, Pac-Man, you're hitting on my bullet points. My next pick as well, Daniel Ricardo. Much for the same reasons. A big one, though, too, is confidence. Like he said, a second-year driver. And with a new teammate like Esteban, Daniel is a clear alpha on this team. And that confidence, I think, is going to carry into his results. A big thing when I choose guys is I want someone who is reliable, consistent, and isn't going to be DQ'd or wreck out of the race. Uh, Ricardo's a good driver. He's an experienced driver. He knows how to get himself out of a pickle. Uh, that's why he's my third pick. Beautiful. Well, I've, I've gone first of all times, probably still some of your talking points. So why don't you go ahead for the first one for the, your fourth yep. one. Fourth pick. I got uh Pierre Gasly for a cheap 10.4 million. I chose Pierre mostly off of late performances last year. He's clearly for whatever reason, much more comfortable in the Alfa Romeo car. Uh, he proved that, and I want to see that carry over. I think he's the better of the two teammates here again, and uh, I hope that confidence stays with him. He's definitely got a chip on his shoulder with what went wrong in uh, the Red Bull racing team last year, so hoping that shows in his results. And quite honestly, for $10 million, I think this was a bargain. I disagree. I don't think Pierre Gasly is going to have a good year. I just, again... Even though he had that very strong finish in Brazil, I think that's about as high as as you're going to see him go. It's very, very hard for a driver whose confidence has been been knocked from being at a top team to being catapulted back down to the amateur team in in Toro Rosso or Alpha Tauri, excuse me. So that's why I passed on him, and I went straight to Sergio Perez at a steal at $9.3 million. I think 
in the driver's championship, he has a chance to be kind of what Carlos Sainz was last year at a P6, P7 spot. Again, we've seen it from long ago, way back in 2014, when he was reaching podiums with Force India. The car that Racing Point has produced this year, whether you like it or not, is just Mercedes and pink form. And that's going to show with an expertise driver. I think that car is going to carry um, Sergio Perez to very, very consistent results. Um, That's why I have him as uh, my turbo driver. I think the consistency is going to be incredible. Yeah, I like that pick. He's my fifth for 9.3. And interesting enough, too, I also picked him with the thought of being the turbo driver as well. Uh, I think he's got big potential to have big results this year. He's a really good driver. He's on over 50% of fantasy teams. He was the most picked driver out of any any driver in the field. So it's clear that he is, I think, underpriced, like you said, uh, but also has, has a lot of potential this year. Is he your turbo driver, or do you end up putting signs in that? No, nah, signs is turbo driver right now. Well, to clear up my fifth and final final spot, if if this doesn't tell you how much confidence I have in the pink, pink Mercedes, it's going to be Lance Stroll again at a steal at seven point nine million dollars. I don't think his talent is anywhere near Sergio Perez, but with the amount of money I had left to spend at seven point nine million, I thought he was a steal again. To me, the car is just going to make all the difference in the world, driving a pink Mercedes. And if you're thinking about it, Stroll at least has a has a podium before him. He has to be one of my least favorite drivers in the field. He's just going off daddy's money. Didn't have to really earn it, in my opinion, which I hate more than anything. But you can't argue with last year's championship car basically taking the form of a racing point car. So I just feel like that's just going to give him such a competitive edge that he'll be okay. Yeah, we'll see, man. I don't know. I think I disagree with this one. He was one I stayed clear of. He's, I think he's talented, but at the end of the day, he, for whatever reason, is very prone to bad luck. If he's taken out of multiple Grand Prix, that's going to kill your fantasy lineup. So that's all I got to say. All right. Well, First year luck, maybe. Hopefully, uh, we'll see who comes out on top, especially when racing goes along. Uh, We'll be sure to keep all you fans updated. But, uh, Tom, why don't you go ahead and give your uh, constructor team. Yep, constructor, I got Red Bull. I think uh, you'd be silly not to to, uh, stay out of the top of the field here. So, I think there's not a lot of points to be made with the constructor, um, but there's certainly points to be lost, so I think it'd be silly to go against mercedes ferrari or red bull so with the money i had red bull was the choice um i will say i spent all 100 million of my dollars so i'm pretty happy about that there you go and i can't deny that fact that i also chose red bull racing but in my opinion i had the option to either go with a ferrari um or red bull and the reason i went red bull um again max Verstappen, incredibly talented driver uh, I do believe Alex Albon is going to see his first podium, um, possibly his first victory this year. So hopefully that added consistency to Red Bull will put them at an advantage. And unlike your team, I feel like with the top 
tier teams. I'm hedging my bets with not only the Mercedes and Botas, but also with the Red Bull Racing and the Constructors Championship. Uh, so that's that's kind of the reasons why I chose my F1 fantasy team. And that's going to go ahead and conclude our second episode of the Open Wheel Debrief with your host, Patrick Hamilton, and co-host Tom Settle. Join us next week as we talk about the virtual Grand Prix of China, where they're racing at Shanghai, and the IndyCar virtual Grand Prix round four in Japan. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Make sure you drop a like, subscribe. Thanks to all our loyal listeners. Comment, give us a five-star rating. And we'll see you guys next week. Love you guys. You're the night sky trying to make me see your stars. The dark gets only now I see violet. That was the Open Wheel Debrief by Tom Settle and Patrick Hamilton. 